as we continue to celebrate God's mercy and goodness and love and grace, let's come before him in prayer. Holy and heavenly Father, we do come to celebrate you for who you are today. We thank you for who you are and for what you do. We thank you for the work you do in this world and in our lives. We thank you that as the God of Sarah and Abraham, the God of Isaac and Rebekah, you are the God whose love and kindness and provision extend all the way through generations to reach even us. Thank you for meeting us here this morning in this time of worship, for hearing our prayers and petitions, for listening to our praises, and for speaking to our hearts. God, we thank you for your provision and mercy as you've responded to our calls to you in the wake of the devastation at Pilgrim Pines, our beloved camp and conference center. Thank you that Camp Squanto has reopened and the campers even today will be arriving in New Hampshire for what we pray is a life-transforming encounter with you. Bless and encourage the staff as they work with students and as they engage the long work of restoring the family camp and campground elements of that ministry. God of love, you meet the needs that we see around us and you meet the needs that we discover within ourselves. We pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to be at work in each of our lives, molding us more toward the perfect model of your son, Jesus Christ. God, would you keep at us tenaciously, even when we've become lazy or discouraged in our own work on ourselves. Keep our eyes on you. Help us to see ourselves and those around us as you see us. Keep us faithful, God. Faithful in sharing the good news and joy of our faith in Jesus as a congregation of believers here at Bethany. We pray for opportunities to share your love in words of truth, to share your love in acts of kindness and generosity, and with a spirit to embrace those opportunities. Thank you for the opportunities we've had this summer as children and family have gathered on Friday nights. We pray that your love will continue to be shown through those gatherings. God, keep us committed to the work of justice in this world, to all the things that truly matter in your kingdom. God of peace, we ask that you would comfort those among us who mourn today, that you would bless and encourage those who are weary, who are burdened in any way this morning. Restore to us the joy of our salvation through Jesus Christ, and hear us now as we pray as he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. At this time, any kids who are with us in kindergarten through grade four, you're invited to head down to Children's Church out on this side down that stairwell. We'll see you later in the service. Good morning. 
morning. I'm Sandra Pelletier. Today's first scripture reading comes from the hymnal of the Hebrew people, the International Standard Version of Psalm 105, verses 1 through 11. Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, and make his deeds known among the people. Sing to him, praise him, declare all his awesome deeds, exalt in his holy name. Let all those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Remember his awesome deeds that he has done, his wonders and the judgments he declared. You descendants of Abraham, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments extend to the entire earth. He remembers his eternal covenant every promise he made for a thousand generations, like the covenant he made with Abraham and his promise to Isaac. He presented it to Jacob as a decree, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. He said, I will give Canaan to you as the allotted portion that is your inheritance. Our second scripture reading comes from the account of the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the Son of God, according to Matthew, a former tax collector who became a disciple of Jesus. We're reading from the New Living Translation of the book Matthew, chapter 13, verses 24 through 30. Here is another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted the good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked? No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them, and to put the wheat in the barn. Our third scripture reading comes from a letter written by Peter, a fisherman who became a disciple of Jesus, to churches in the region, region of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. We're reading from the updated edition of the New Revised Standard Version of the book, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 9. But do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. And it's a delight to gather in worship of our God. Over the last few weeks together, we have been looking at stories from the book of Genesis and seeing that one attribute of the God we worship is that his plans, his promises, his provisions 
span generations. We've looked at stories of Abraham and Sarah and then Isaac and Rebekah. We've seen that God's faithfulness endures for generations and that his plans sometime take generations to unfold. And we'll continue to look for one more week at this unfolding story that spans generations in the second half of, of the book of Genesis. The first week we heard the promises of God to this older married couple named Abraham and Sarah. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And then we saw that 25 years later, Abraham and Sarah finally had this promised child whom they named Isaac. And with the joyful birth of that child, the fulfillment of God's promise to make an entire nation, beginning with this one couple, began to unfold. And then last week we saw how when this child Isaac was grown, God provided a wife for him, not from among the Canaanites whose land they were occupying, but from his own family, from his own people. And in this act of loving grace, we saw that God provided for Rebekah too, this one who was chosen, because she became, in a sense, royalty in this fledgling nation that God was building. And as she left her family, they shouted this blessing, our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the cities of their enemies. And we're told that when Rebecca became Isaac's wife, he loved her deeply. And so we've seen how the promises of God have never been empty, but they've always been accompanied by God's provision. None of God's promises come to nothingness, but sometimes their fulfillment is a long time coming. Isaac and Rebecca fairly quickly uh, shift to the background of the story as the chapters of Genesis unfold, because now the front of the stage is about to be occupied by their kids by Jacob and Esau, and especially by Jacob. We read in Genesis 25, this is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Paddan Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb, the first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. So these kids get distinctive and meaningful names. Esau means hairy, and Jacob, because he was born saying, hey, wait a minute, grasping the heel of his slightly older twin brother who came out first. He's named 
excuse me, he's named Jacob, which literally means heel grasper, but in a Hebrew idiom of that day meant deceiver. So how'd you like to grow up with that name? But we'll see as the story goes on that this name Jacob, deceiver, is actually entirely fitting. First, we see that Jacob lures his twin brother into giving him his rights as the firstborn. Although if we look at that episode, it's really more about the rash behavior of Esau than anything else. But then later on, as Isaac, their father, gets old, we do see outright deceitfulness unfold. When at his mother's bidding, Jacob tricks their old and nearly blind father Isaac into giving him his parting blessing, which had been reserved for the firstborn son Esau. And so at this point, Esau has himself forfeited his rights of a double portion of the estate as the firstborn, and now he has been cheated, robbed of his rights of the blessing as the firstborn. Isaac pronounces this blessing on Jacob in fulfillment of what God had promised Rebekah, although in fact Isaac thought he was blessing his firstborn Esau. He says, may nations serve you, and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. Now when Esau discovers that Jacob has has tricked their father into giving him this blessing, he is understandably furious and distraught, and he comes pleading to Isaac and says, Father, isn't there any blessing left for me? And Isaac can provide only this, which you'll hear is a mostly negative response. He says to Esau, your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. So here we hear this, a hint of this fulfillment of God's promise that two different nations are going to spring from Rebekah. Jacob and Esau, each going on to be blessed by God, but with the older serving the younger. So Esau hears a bit of a promise that day, but mostly he hears some pretty grim news. And so Esau schemes a plan to kill his brother once their father is dead. And Rebekah gets wind of the plan and warns Jacob. She's clearly his favorite. She warns Jacob and he flees back to Rebekah's home country, where he ends up working for his uncle Laban, Rebekah's brother. But while he's on his journey there, Jacob camps for the night. And he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, And you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate 
of heaven. And so he names that place Bethel, the house of God. So here we hear God reiterating his promise. You may have heard the same language that God had used to Abraham. I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna make you into a nation. I'm gonna give you countless descendants and I will give you a land of your own. This is the same promise that had spanned the generations before him, that his grandfather Abraham had heard, that his father Isaac had heard. God chose Jacob as the one who would receive this continued blessing, although God would be faithful to Esau as well. And then Genesis chapters 29 through 31 recount how Jacob goes to Rebekah's hometown where he ends up being deceived by his uncle Laban. There's a little twist here. The deceiver is deceived, and Jacob is tricked into marrying both of Laban's daughters, Leah and Rachel. So Jacob says, all right, I'll get back at you. And he comes up with a scheme in which Jacob's flocks of of sheep and goats are strengthened, while those of Laban, whom he's working for, are weakened. So in these chapters, there's a lot of shenanigans, a lot of scheming, but at the end of it, we hear what I think is just a a wonderful um, example of biblical understatement. At the end of all this back and forth and scheming, we read, Jacob began to notice a change in Laban's attitude toward him. It's like, yeah, you think? He's not so fond of you anymore. And so Jacob collects his family and takes off. He knows that Laban has it in for him. And so when Laban hears about it, he sets off after him. And God warns Laban in a dream to leave Jacob alone. So when Laban finally catches up with Jacob after 10 days, he says, what have you done? You've deceived me. You've carried off my daughters like captives in war. Why did you run off secretly and deceive me? Why didn't you tell me so I could send you away with joy and singing to the music of timbrels and harps? You didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and my daughters goodbye. You have done a foolish thing. I have the power to harm you, but last night the God of your father said to me, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And so after this encounter, Jacob and Laban end up making peace. They erect a stone monument as uh, to commemorate the promise that they will go their own way and not do harm to each other. And then as Jacob prepares to come back to his home country, he hears that Esau, his brother, whom he hasn't seen for years, is on his way to meet him uh, with an armed force of 400 men. So we hear that Jacob says, I need to prepare for this, and he sends a peace offering ahead. In Genesis 32, we read that when Jacob's, we read that Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. And that night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok River. After he had sent them across the stream, he went over, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, 
What is your name? Jacob, he answered, deceiver. But the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Now, this one story, I think, has more than enough material uh, for a whole sermon, but today I just want to point out a few aspects of this account. First, we come face to face with this mysterious man who appears seemingly out of nowhere to wrestle with Jacob. And this is clearly no ordinary man, clearly not even someone like the angels who had appeared uh, to Jacob earlier in an account we didn't have time to get to this morning. This is somehow, somehow God himself come to grapple with Jacob. And amazingly, Jacob prevails. Or maybe more accurately, we could say he is allowed to prevail. And in the process, Jacob is renamed. He gets to ditch that moniker of deceiver, and he's named Israel, which means he struggles with God. And Jacob names that place Peniel, meaning the face of God, saying, I've seen God face to face and have been allowed to live. I love how the man in the story refuses to give his own name to Jacob, as if to say, I think you know who I am. And it's said that Jacob, or now Israel, took with him from this encounter a lifelong souvenir of a limp, reminding him of this night of wrestling with God, and reminding him, too, of his own renaming, Israel, the one who struggles with God. I think it's so interesting that God chooses to name the nation that will follow him those who struggle with God. This is going to be an ongoing, often tense relationship. God continues to provide for Jacob, as we see in the very next episode, as Jacob and Esau make peace and go their own way. Sometime later, God tells Jacob to return to Bethel, that place where he had had a dream of the staircase, the ladder reaching to heaven. And in Genesis 35, we read that God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. And so he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will be among your descendants. The land I give to Abraham and Isaac I also give to you, and I will give this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at the place where he had talked with him. Jacob set up a stone pillar at that place where God had talked with him, and he poured out a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it also. So God repeats this renaming ceremony of Jacob. He says, I want you to remember, I want you not to miss this, that you're meant to leave the deceiver name behind. And God reminds him of this cross-generational promise to make a nation, even a community of nations, out of one chosen family. 
Now, the book of Genesis is about to shift, shift from this generation to the next generation, to Joseph and his brothers, who dominate the action of the rest of the book. And Joseph, this son of Jacob, actually probably becomes the second most prominent figure in the whole book of Genesis after Abraham. But Jacob is right up there. And I think we need to pay attention to that and to see what lesson there is in that and in this highlighting of Jacob. Because I think we need to understand that God will work through the people he chooses to work through. And God will work in ways he chooses to work in. And maybe the lesson most clearly we see from Jacob's story is that God's plans will prevail even if, even when, God's people end up being pretty slippery. These stories of God's promises in Genesis, these stories of God's faithfulness in keeping his promises encourage us to think about what God has promised us and to hold fast to those promises in our lives. And these accounts of God's provision remind us we can count on God to provide for our needs as well. We worship and follow the same God that Rachel and Isaac did, that Jacob, Leah, and Rachel did. The same God will be faithful to provide for us. And I think these stories of God's promises and provision can also enlarge our trust to think more broadly, more big about what God can do. And I pray that these stories will also fuel our patience as we wait for God to act. We can read these stories, these 15 chapters in Genesis, probably in less than an hour, but we see that generations are unfolding in these stories. We get a sense of God's timeline. And as we consider the story of Jacob, I think we learn a bit about God's patience with us as well. Because I can only imagine the time that God could have been frustrated, would have had every right to be frustrated with Jacob, he would have seen the, the scheming, the hijinks, the shenanigans, and God would have had every right to say, okay, this is enough. The deal is off. But God was faithful to this one that God had promised from his very birth would be the chosen one to fulfill God's promises. Jacob, we see, was certainly not consistently godly in his choices, in his actions and behavior. But as we look at these stories in Genesis spanning generations, we see, we see that God is always godly. God will always act in keeping with his holy character. God demonstrates patience with Jacob. And even though Jacob is deeply flawed, God chooses to do things through Jacob that only God can do. He empowers Jacob to do things because of God's promises. God chooses to be merciful and gracious in overlooking so many of Jacob's shortcomings and faults. God could have said, see, you are a deceiver, but instead he gives him a new name. God chooses to bless Jacob far beyond what he deserves on behalf of Jacob, as well as the, the generations and descendants that follow him. And so it's my prayer that we'd be encouraged from these stories in Genesis. Not that we would um, give ourselves a free pass and say, well, apparently it doesn't matter what we do. I think the lesson here instead is 
oh my goodness, what a faithful God that despite what we do, God chooses to love us. God chooses not to turn away from his faithfulness and God's plans will prevail. I pray these stories would overwhelm us with a sense of the goodness and mercy and provision of God. And I pray that it would stir up in us a renewed commitment to be faithful because of the faithful God we serve. I pray that as we see the patience of God, we'd grow more patient with him and with one another. That as we sense the love of God for us, our love for him would grow. Would you join me in prayer? Faithful and patient God, would you forgive our short-sighted impatience with you and would you grow our trust in you? God, when we get frustrated that you don't seem to be doing the things we hoped you would, would you please gently but firmly remind us of who you are, of your track record of faithfulness, not just in the Bible, but in our lives, and that you remind us of whose we are, people called by your name. Thank you for naming us as your children and for loving us as your own family. Amen.